Good morning, Connect Church. Would you stand with me as we get ready for worship today? I want us to stand and pray together this morning before worship. Um, I know we know. I know we have a little spiel. We're going to get into something in between the songs actually today, but I still think it's important to set the tone for the day through prayer. Get our hearts a little bit in the right place before we praise Him. Right. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and pray together this morning. God, we trust you. God, in a world where it is very difficult to trust people, let alone God, where in a world where it is difficult to understand someone who could be so many different things, have so many different names, wear so many different hats, God, in a world that has broken hearts and minds and bodies, still we choose to trust you. Still we choose to love you. Still we choose to praise and honor and glorify you, God, forever and ever. Because you, God, before time ever even existed, designed everything to love us, to be with us, to bring us into your home, God. God, help us to thank you for that. Help us to love you for that. And help us to trust you for that all of the more, not just inside, but to declare that trust, that love, that thankfulness through praise, through our worship, through our prayer, through every word that comes out of our mouth, God, be it in song or in conversation, God. We thank you today, God. We trust you. We honor and glorify and praise you forever and evermore. Amen. Let's worship together, church, to that very thing we just prayed for. Holy, holy, holy is 
before in the past, if you're familiar with the song Yahweh, that's what we're going to be singing. And we were talking about the fact that it's very difficult for us to connect to this song for some reason. And we were kind of breaking down why that is. And it's a song about the name of God, and there's a thousand songs about the names of God, and they're all beautiful, and I feel like people really love them. But what we kind of came to the conclusion of is that Yahweh is probably the most difficult one for Americans in the American church to connect to. And when you think about that, it's because, well, think about the definitions of the other names of God. Jehovah Rapha, he's our healer, okay? Very tangible, very something I can get down with. Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider. I understand what that looks like, feels like, how it benefits me. Then you get to Yahweh. I am the I am seems not only like something I can't even comprehend, but something that doesn't necessarily benefit me, which is a very difficult thing for us to grasp a hold of, to love, to want, to honor, to praise. And we almost didn't do this song, but I was like, no, I really feel like we need to not overlook the significance of the name Yahweh. We need to do a song that strips away all of the hype and the energy and the dynamics and brings us face to face with Yahweh. Because if we don't, we can hide behind those things a whole lot easier and fail to understand another aspect of God, of who He is, the person that He is. And so I was asking God this week to help me understand and appreciate the name Yahweh more because I have trouble with it just as much as I'm probably sure a lot of you do. And He didn't redefine the word, He didn't change its meaning, but He changed the intonation of how I was saying it. And it wasn't, I am the I am. It was, I am the I am. He was saying it as if he was saying, please believe that I am who I say that I am to you. All that I have shown myself to be throughout the Bible, throughout history, throughout time, throughout our experiences, I am that. I am that I am. And I don't know about you, but in the world today, it gives us a thousand excuses to not believe that people are who they say that they are whether that is from heartbreak and betrayal, whether that's just somebody acts different online than in person. Maybe we're not always who we say that we are. Maybe we want to be someone, but we're not. 
whatever the reason is, it can be easy to assign that same lack of belief to God. But God is not a man that he should lie. And he continually proves himself to be who he says he is over and over and over. Not always in the ways that we expect, not always in the time frames that we want, but he does. Because he can't lie, because he won't lie. So as we strip away all of the fancy dynamic, as we stay in a song that is very low key, that allows us to connect with God on a much more intimate level, in a song that pretty much only has the word Yahweh in it. I want us to think about that. Where are we with trusting that God is who he says he is? Where can we go during this time and say, God, Holy Spirit, create something in my heart that helps me to trust in you more, in who you say that you are more. Help me to love who you are more. Let's bring that to the forefront of our mind as we start to this. Yeah. Hey. 
the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come the whole earth daddy is filled with your glory there has never been a time and there never will be a time that you are not that you are not fully present fully aware fully committed Daddy, there's never a time that we walk alone. Though we may feel abandoned, you're right by our side. We may feel alone, you're walking with us, Lord God. We may run ahead, but we can't outrun your grace. We can't get ahead of your love because you're already there. Daddy, there's nothing and nowhere. David, your king says, where can I go that you are not? Can I go to the highest heavens? You're already there. Can I go to the lowest depths? You're already there. There's nothing if I go to the depths of the sea. If I go to the heavens above, you're already there because you are I am. That gives us such faith. It gives us such courage. It's why, Jesus, you can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. You, pray, you, you, you are a predecessor. You precede all things. You have authority over time and space, moments and substance, atoms and molecules, sickness and disease, addiction and heartache. In the name of Jesus, there's nothing that can bar you from invading that space. So by you and through you and in you, we have all things. In Jesus we live, in Jesus we move, in Jesus we have our being. And so today, Daddy, whatever it is we're facing, whatever we're going through, may we hear that same truth that Moses heard on that day. Don't worry, Moses. I am. I am. You can tell my people, don't worry, because I always will be always will be I'm always there I'll never leave them I'll never forsake them I'll never run away from them I'll never be scared of them I'll never be distracted by what they do I'll never be able to be barred by invading their space I'll never be kept out or kept away I'll never have I'll never lose authority I'll never have not have kingdom power Moses tell my people I am Holy Spirit, help us to know the God that is I am. And when that situation and that feeling and that emotion begins to lie, stir our hearts anew with faith in you. We give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise and say in this place today, in this moment of praise, there is nothing that has power greater than you doesn't matter what we walked in with doesn't matter what the doctor said this week doesn't want matter what the proclamation over your future seems to be right now there is no power greater than I am we submit that to you we are asking for miracles to be done right now burning bush encounters in people's hearts release 
from oppression, from slavery to sin, through addiction and depression, heartache and misery, lack. We give you it all. And Jesus, we pray the way you taught us how to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives and in this moment as it is in heaven. For yours is the glory. For yours is the honor. For yours is the power. For yours is the praise. For yours is everything. In Jesus' name we pray. And together in faith we touch it and say amen and amen. Come on, can we praise God for just who he is, just who he is, just who he is, just who he is. Thank you, Father, for who you are. You're good. You're great. You're mighty. You're my healer. You're my Savior, Jesus. We love you. Oh, I don't know about you, but I, I need to be reminded. I know. Look, look, look. I, I, I've read the Bible. I had to take Hebrew class. I had to take Greek class. I, I know what Yahweh means. But see, there's something that has to happen in these moments that moves information to transformation in our life. Because I believe that he's I am until I get into a situation where I think he isn't. I believe he's I am until a doctor's report comes back and says, yeah, but he isn't. It's easy to believe he's I am in this moment. That's why what Jake said is so essential. We cannot just be people who know the information that he's I am. There has to be this burning bush moment of revelation inside of us that says, I may still be in Pharaoh's prison. Come on, somebody. I, I still may be in slavery at this moment, but my God is moving behind the scenes. It may be Friday. It may be Saturday, but Sunday's coming. I may be, have a cross moment. I may be, there may still be a stone in the way, but Sunday's coming because he is I am. My God was I am on Saturday before they knew him of the God of the resurrection on Sunday. Same God, just a different day. Sometimes we got to recognize same God, come on, different day. And that's why it's so good to not just sing worship on Sunday, but go to the playlist on YouTube. These songs should be an overflow on Sunday. These things should be coming out of us on Sunday because we've been worshiping through them all week. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you for making the journey. Thank you for getting up this morning and getting out of bed and doing your hair. Some of you did your hair this morning. Y'all look good. Yeah, this section looks really good over here. Thank you for coming. Look, if you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here. Welcome to Connect Church. It's really great to have you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. We pray that you make this your home. Look, if you want to find out a little bit more about us, about what we are and who we, what we do, there's a, there, there'll be a, a, a QR code up there on the screen. They're all over the place as well. You can find them everywhere. And it's just going to give you a little bit more information about us, but let us know a little bit more about you as well. One of the things that we are about at this church is the next generation. We love our children. We believe that they're not just the next generation. We believe that they are this generation. God is doing something powerful in them. So kids, could you follow Pastor Kevin and Pastor Lisa out? Guys, give them a hand as they're going out. And as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them it's good to see you. Air high five, fist bump, whatever it is. Before I go any further today, I just uh, I want to give a shout out 
uh, to Pastor Danielle. What an amazing word she preached last week, and um, really um, amazing. And if you weren't here, can I really encourage you? All of our messages are on YouTube. They're on Facebook. You can find them everywhere. They're on uh, the QR site. You can go. Um, but listen to that. It was brilliant. I was, I was actually away last week with some of the guys from church. We went to Montreal. We were suffering for Jesus in Montreal, having to watch the Montreal Grand Prix. It was horrible. Having to eat croissants, horrible. Just, um, but I was, it, we had some time before the race, and so I was watching it online. So thank you for our online team that puts that up. It's so amazing. And, um, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the racetrack, and I'm crying. I'm amening. People around me getting saved. It was awesome. Right? It, was, it was just amazing. It was such a good word. She's, she, and Pastor Danielle's under the weather today. Um, so please be praying for her. She needs a breakthrough, um, and we're believing for that as well. Um, but one of the things she talked about is knowing the difference between things we call special and God calls sacred. And a lot of times that comes through. The only way we recognize those things is when we're in being discipled, getting discipled. Because if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always gotten. In order to change our tomorrow, we've got to change something in us today. That's what discipleship is. It's helping us to see the blind spots in our life. And so one of the things that's the heartbeat of this church that we really have uh, poured more resource in, especially after the pandemic, has been our discipleship. We have men's and women's discipleship groups. Our men's groups are called Forged. Our women's groups are called Shoulder to Shoulder, and they meet throughout the week. And uh, a lot of them are meeting virtually, so you can be in your home and still be cool. And it's just an amazing time. Our guys... Uh, groups, we are studying the book of John. We're diving into the book of John so that we can understand the marvel of who God is, who Jesus is. And so you may be saying, well, I don't really know a lot about the Bible. Awesome. Neither do most of us. Just hop on in, right? You, may, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. This is a place for us to reflect and get to know the God of the Bible and where our lives miss being with him. So really, if you've been at this church for a while and not in Forza Shoulder Shoulder, go to one of those, uh, those QR sites. Start now. It's never too late. Matter of fact, it's already too late. It's never too late. Hop on in. It's going to be a great time. If you're not, if you're new, check it out. It's a great place to be connected. One of the other things we do really quickly before I hop into the world, I want to give a shout out to our Thy Kingdom Crumb food ministry that went out yesterday. Our food truck went out yesterday. We uh, got a chance to feed a whole bunch of people. We saw nine people come to Jesus Christ yesterday, uh, and that's really what that ministry is really about. We give away free food, and I was a beneficiary of the free food yesterday. It was like chicken stromboli, hallelujah. It was so good, and, uh, but it's, more, it's not just about feeding the people's stomach. It's, it's about actually feeding their soul. And so keep supporting that. When you give into missions here, that's part of what your mission money goes to. It goes to supporting TKC. So are you guys ready for the word today? I'm ready for this word. I want to tell you, I've been ready for this word. I, 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 I started writing this uh, last week when I was in, in, in Montreal, not this past, so a week ago. Um, so I've been sitting on this for a while, so buckle in. Um, it's going to be good. Uh, look, since you brought your Bible, why don't you turn with me to the book of Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. Nahum is the 34th book of the Old Testament. Maybe an easier way to find it is to find Matthew and then go back six books, right? Nahum is a, a prophet um, of Israel, and he is prophesying to the Assyrian um, people because God had already called them to repentance, and, and now they're missing it. And he's hoping maybe that they can change before it's too late. He's calling them to wake up. Maybe something that we've been talking about for a while. It's not just waking up, it's waking up and responding. So if you need a title to the message today, it's Two Sides, 
same coin. Two sides, same coin. Why? Because I know probably many of us are familiar with the term, there's two sides to the same coin, right? Two sides, same coin. Well, what does that mean? It means that, that, uh, that both sides play a part in making the whole. That if we're going to understand the whole picture, the true value of something, we have to see the whole picture. Not just one side, but both sides. And I think if we're honest, it's kind of tricky in our generation. Because if we know our generation is a generation of either or. You're, you're, e- right? you're, you're either right or you're wrong. You're, you're either liberal or conservative. You're, you're, it's an either or an or. You're either a friend or a foe. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, as we've grown as people, we probably have come to a place where we recognize that some things that we used to think were right are actually wrong. Right? I mean, I used to fight people over the fact that there was a certain man that came once a year who had little helpers in a place up north who would leave gifts for you. And then later on in life, I'm sorry if you don't know that this is wrong yet, I found out that's wrong. I also know that there are some things that I thought were wrong because of the way that I was raised. But then when I got to the Word of God, I understood that they were right. I think if we actually take a step back and actually begin to listen to one another, when we put away all of our rhetoric, we'll find out that most of us have more in common than we do apart. Where our either or is actually an end both. Where someone we once believed was a friend, come on, how many of us know that we used to have some people who were friends but now are foes? And some people who are foes who we never thought could be friends are. Sometimes we've even misunderstood the fact that we've had foes in our life thinking that that foe was there to hurt us rather than promote us. But Goliath promoted David in front of the masses. The lion's den promoted Daniel in the eyes of the king. What we have to see, prison positioned Joseph to be promoted by Pharaoh in Egypt above all others. So maybe our vision is not as clear as we thought. Maybe, just maybe, when it comes to the things of God, we need to understand two sides of the coin. And the reason that I'm bringing that up today is because I think the issue for many of us in our relationship with God is this seeming dichotomy of God, these two sides of God. Especially when the two sides we're looking at are his justice and his grace. Come on, how can a God of grace send a flood that wipes out the entire earth? And how can a a just God allow bad things to happen to good people? And so in this quandary, we begin to nullify or pacify one aspect of God in order to help the other side of God seem more palatable to us or maybe more palatable to our friends or more palatable to our generation or more palatable to our coworkers. And so we move the boundaries of who God is to make him seem more palatable. Maybe you and I are a person like my wife, and she'll tell you she is. She's a judgment person. Matter of fact, that's what Danielle means. Danielle means God is my judge. And so maybe if you're a judgment person, you relish in the fact that God is rolling out judgment on certain people for their sins. And you really struggle with God's grace in people's lives because of its seeming unfairness. It's not fair, God, that these people get blessed. 
Or maybe you're the complete opposite side. Maybe you're all about grace. And so we struggle with the thought that God sends people to hell. And when we see God have boundaries over sins that, well, to be honest, we don't think our God of grace should have. Here lies the struggle. And within it lies a tool of the enemy that he has used for centuries to separate us in intimacy between ourselves and God. We see it from the very beginning in Genesis 3.1. Hey, Eve, did God really say? Hey, Eve, if God really is a God that does this or that, would he really do this? Can we really trust him to do that? And in this redefining of who God is, in this redefining of who God is, from Eve to God, not God to Eve, Eve to God, not a God to Eve, we begin to see a loss of intimacy. We begin to understand that she focuses on, uh, on one side of the coin, and we do too, and when we focus on only one side of the coin, we miss the majesty and marvel of the wholeness of the beauty of our God, the beauty of a God that is a God of justice and a God of grace. At the same time, I was reading this text last week when we were away, and I've been reading some Old Testament prophets, and I came to Nahum, and it just has three chapters. And so it's about God pouring out his judgment on Nineveh. And the reason why is because he had sent Jonah, many of us know this, he sent him by, you know, the first submarine, and he, and he spit him out on the shore, and he prophesied, and the people repented, but pretty soon after that, they went right back to the sin that they were in. They had one foot in and one foot out. Come on, does that sound at all like any generation, any culture that we know? We're kind of in for God here, but we're kind of not for God here. In and out. And so God's saying, if you don't wake up and repent, judgment's coming. And it starts with these verses that we're going to read. And when we read them, hopefully we can come to the two sides of the same coin and fall deeper in love with a God who is both grace and justice. Nahum chapter 1 verse 2 says this, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves up before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces is by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He rescues those who trust in him. Did anyone else get whiplash right there? Right? He's the whirlwind. God is good. See, I think there are two immediate problems in what we just read. First, in our Bible reading or what we've been talking about over the last little bit, this kind of modern biblical context that we're trying to put together where we just kind of cherry pick verses out of uh out of context to build the way that we see god in life i think our tendency as as modern americans and modern christians would be kind of just to hop over the first couple verses and get right to verse seven 
We just grab the highlighter and highlight verse 7. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold. Yep, he is my stronghold. Yes, he is good. But my friends, that's not the whole story here. Or, on the flip side, we read all of it and see the wrath of God and the goodness of God as two separate things. As operating in two separate silos. Rather than seeing how good the goodness of God is as it exists inside of the justice of God. Because the grace of God exists inside the justice of God. They're not two silos. He was not the God of justice in the Old Testament and the God of grace today. He was as much grace then as he is now and justice now as he is grace. The truth is, the majesty and marvel of, of God is that he is good in the midst of being just. It's not an either or. It's an end both. And the danger is without seeing the fullness of the justice of God, we will never truly fall deeply in love with the depth of the grace of God. When we don't see the fullness of the justice of God, we're in danger of cheating ourselves from falling deeply in love with the God of grace. We'll always sell grace short. We'll always tend to live in the margins of grace rather than the abundance of holiness will never fully grow wise why because proverbs 9 10 tells us that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom now when we talk about fear there we're not talking about the emotional fear like whoa we're talking about the sense of awe of the amazement of the uh, of the 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 the, 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 the miraculous just how complex and unfathomable is an all-knowing ever-present holy god like wow he is i am and he still didn't smite me like we all need to wrap our mind around that he is complete justice and i promise us we've screwed up this week the fact that he did not smite you, we should be more thankful for. But we lose wisdom because we lose sight of justice. We lost the all of who he is, the complexity of our God. That's why Isaiah 55 verse 8 tells us that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. But honestly, it's why we struggle because we start with our ways and our thoughts and then try to fit God into our mold. And we end up with nothing to fear and no reason to be in awe because after all, now he's just like us. There's no reason to be in awe of a God that looks like you and I, thinks like you and I, acts like you and I, when we know we're as screwed up as anyone else. So we end up with the perfect version of a God that is made in our image so that our soul doesn't have to be uncomfortable to be made in his image. And we're left with no all and no wisdom. We're only left with a God too small to do anything beyond us and rules to follow that have no power to produce holiness inside of us. It only produces a great sense of self-righteousness because I know God better than you do. But the Bible's clear about this. 2 Timothy 3, 5, 
Paul says, man, we got to be aware in the end times, even inside the church. And he's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to an outside world. He's speaking to an inside world. He's saying even as we get closer to those labor pains, there will be people in the church that will have the form of godliness, but that deny the power. We'll, we'll, we'll think we've got it all figured out. But at the end of the day, we'll recognize that there's no wisdom and no power because we fit God into our world rather than actually fitting our world into God. This comes, my friends. You and I are called to live in wisdom. We are called to walk in faith. We're called to manifest his power. We're called to destroy the work of the enemy everywhere we go. But this comes not from trying to fit a huge God into our little world, but allowing our little world to be in awe of the majesty of a gigantic God. A God I can't fathom. I can't put into a box. Who wants to serve a God like me? Small. If he can fit in my box, he can't do anything beyond me. That's why this verse shows us a God of justice and grace. Justice because he had sent a prophetic word, but they ignored it. He had, they had allowed their culture to override the word of God. They had been a one foot in and one foot out people. Something that we struggle with if we're honest in this world. Because there's so much temptation to be liked, so much temptation to fit in, so much fear of being canceled, that it's much easier to have one foot in and one foot out than it is to stand. But this verse reveals his grace. Because even in the midst of it all, even in the midst of all they are deserving and all that we're deserving of, he still found a way to rescue those who trusted him. See, my friends, the reality is in this verse, we see Jesus. In this Old Testament verse, we see Jesus. And I've been teaching you, I've been telling you that you can see Jesus in the Old Testament all over the place. You can say, how can I see Jesus in this verse? Because what we see in this verse is justice and grace at the same time. And that's who Jesus is. John 1.17 says that, that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. Jesus is grace and truth at the same time. And truth is the foundation of justice, and all justice proceeds out of truth. So the truth that we have to wrestle with, and I know this is a different type of sermon today. I'm just trying to encourage us because when we read these verses, we leave the first six verses alone. But we're missing who he is. And not to be afraid of him, but to be in awe inspired of him. Because discipleship is found in embracing the one without diminishing the other. But the trap for you and I in this modern discipleship that we're trying to live out is our incessant need to define good within our own parameters. Right? We look at Romans 8, 28, for God works all things together for the good, right? And we're like, yeah, that's right, good, it should be good. God's giving me a good life. This is good, the good life. Come to Jesus, get the good life. That's good. Then we begin to define good, which means it's prosperity and breakthrough all the time. And there's all, there's, there's all, it's always blessing or at least nothing too bad happening. 
That's kind of how we have defined good. And so for God, therefore, to be good, he must act like this in order to be a good God. It's why we struggle when bad things happen to people we think are good. And in that moment, we call in question the fairness of God. We, by the way, we never call in question the brokenness of humanity, but we will always call in question the fairness of God. Now that sounds logical. It sounds right, doesn't it? Because when we see these things, we're trying to figure out what's going on because it doesn't fit our scope of a good God. When we say, why does good, bad things happen to good people? Well, my friends, we're starting from the wrong place. The right place is actually asking yourself this question. Why does anything good happen to anyone? You're assuming there's good people and probably assuming you're one of them. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. We've missed the mark of God. We fall short. And here's the kicker. The justice of heaven is founded on truth. And truth is based in perfection. Because Jesus is truth and he is perfect. So the standard is not our neighbor. The standard is not our co-worker. The standard is not Hitler. The standard is perfection. Jesus. So if we are off of the mark from Jesus, there is none good among us. Now, I know it's hard to judge good. I get it. Let me give you an example of how hard it is to judge good. We're an evangelical church. I'm an evangelical Christian. Now, I hate labels, right, because there's already things that you're already starting to label me as that I probably am not. But we believe in the gospel. You may not, but that's what we believe. And I would wager to say that most evangelical Christians across our country and across the world would think that the formation of Israel in 1948 was a good thing, probably even a God thing. They probably tell you that it's part of the prophecy of God, maybe even think that it is a key in having Jesus return. So it's a good thing. But it's a result of the Holocaust. The world would have never allowed Israel to form if it wasn't for the Holocaust. It didn't before. And how about the Palestinian Christians who had to be displaced, lost their home, lost their land? How good does it feel for them? And maybe you're saying, well, you've got to understand, Kyle, that's for the greater good. Then I have to ask you the question. Maybe what you're going through that you don't think is good is for the greater good that you can't see. It's why when we try to put God, figure out as God a good God, by our limited view and our limited perspective, we'll always trip up. I think the issue is if we get down to it, we don't really realize what we're doing. Because what we're really doing is disagreeing with who he is, not just what he does. What we're doing is we're arguing and disagreeing with who God is, not what he does. Now, I, I have a lot of Kyle-isms in my life. I'm sure some of you have isms in your life. I have Kyle-isms. One of my Kyle-isms is I have Kyle piles, right? I have things in piles. I know what's in the pile. Don't move my pile because I know where it is. But if you move my pile, I won't know what's here. I get frustrated. Leave my pile alone. 
right? Because I'm a keeper. I'm a keeper of things, right? Some people call me a hoarder, right? A hoarder. Danielle is a purger. She purges everything. I'm like, stop purging my stuff. Leave my treasures alone, (laughs) right? But she can get by with those things because they're just Kyleisms. But what if what she really didn't like was who I am? What if she didn't like Kyle because Kyle is a man? Because there are people who will not like me simply because I'm a man. That's something I can't change. It's who I am. There's a vast difference between not liking something I may do and something that I am. When God distributes justice, it's who he is. We see it through the lens of what he does. But we don't want to admit we don't like who God is, so we simply debate what he does or should not do. And then that's how we follow suit. We concentrate on doing things differently rather than being different. Even though the Bible tells me that when I come to Christ, I am a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come. So what do, just tell me what I have to do to do things differently. No, we're starting from the wrong place. God acts from who he is. He's trying to change who we are. That then changes what we do. See, my friends, this is the majesty found in God being both justice and grace at the same time. Justice passes judgment on us. It reminds us that there are things that are due us. And they're not good. And at the same time, grace gives us what we don't deserve. And everybody experiences the grace of God, everyone. Because there are different types of grace that we have to understand. That when God says he's a God of grace, it's not limiting, it's expanding. Because there's general grace that the entire world lives under. All the world experiences the grace of God. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45... God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It's the grace of God that allows the world to go on without imploding because the world is under the fall just like we are. So it's available for everyone. Why? Because he's trying to give everyone an opportunity to see him and come to him. Because that's God's greatest desire, that we should repent and come to him. Then there's saving grace. Saving grace is that amazing grace that comes through Jesus Christ, his death and his sacrifice. His blood was poured out so that you and I, he paid the price that I could not pay. I was bought at a price. I'm not my own. I'm his because he paid the price for me. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to have grace and enter into the kingdom. It's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and I'm the only way to the Father. And it is available to everyone. From the most clean of us to the worst of the worst of us. And then there is manifest grace. Manifest grace is is God sharing his grace to a person in a particular situation out of his goodness. Because God's good. Not because we're good. Because God's good. It's Jesus with the ten lepers. They didn't do anything to deserve being healed. He just healed them. It's Elijah manifesting flour and oil for the widow in the midst of the famine. She didn't do anything to deserve it. Just did it. 
It's God bringing manna every day to the Israelites in the wilderness. Can we agree they did not deserve it? But it's manifest grace. Whether it's to the one, to the few, or to the many, God manifests his grace all the time. We experience it all the time in our lives and yet very rarely recognize it and are thankful for it. Because somewhere along the way, we believe our goodness deserves it. I gave up this so I can get that. No, I gave up this because it's not like him. I stopped being that way because he's not that way. It's not a barter. It's not a deal. Whatever good thing comes into our life is the amazing manifest grace of God's goodness to us. Yet without that grace, we'd only be left with justice. Which brings us back to Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned. What's the big deal? Romans 6.23. The wages of that sin is death. That's the big deal. That's why Jesus is grace and truth at the same time. So that he can take our death and manifest grace. We shouldn't be afraid of the God of justice. Because the God of justice reveals the truth about us and about him. It's why we, we can't afford to diminish it because we won't really know him and we won't really know ourselves if we don't look and understand why God is justice even now. And I think the challenge for us, if we're honest, is that we, we don't do that. We, we start to diminish the God of justice because we don't want to really know the truth about ourselves. We don't really want to know the truth. We can't handle the truth. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You can't handle the truth. It's why we've created this fantasy novel that we've created about our life that's loosely based on the true story. Have you ever seen one of those uh, movies where it's, it says it's loosely based on a true story? Then you know most of it is not. Right? It's kind of how we are. We come to church and we talk to people about our marriage and we're like, man, I, I'm, I'm just so blessed. I got the most wonderful man. I can't imagine anything different than this man is the best man. You were about to kill him 10 minutes ago because he left the wet towel on the bathroom floor again. The story you're telling others and yourself is loosely based on a true story. And it may help us get through the day, but it undermines our honesty with God and our honesty with ourselves about God. And it leaves us in places, with places where we won't go or let God go and leaves us with questions we won't ask because we really don't want to know the answers that God will give us because, we, because it makes us look ugly. Because we may not like who we are when we actually see ourselves reflected in the justice of God. See, his justice reveals the truth about who we really are. We are laid bare before him. That's why so often we don't go to the word or we don't go to prayer. Because in those things, we feel naked. It's why we cherry pick verse 7 and don't wrestle with the fact that we're the people in Nineveh in verses 2, 3, and 4. Because what does it mean to us or about us if we were really those people? J. 
Just give me a good TED Talk, God. I'm good. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are like a blazing fire. They know the true, unedited story of our lives. And the standard of heaven is perfection. So no matter how many lies we've told ourselves or told others about ourselves, no matter how much we've attempted to clean up our story, our spirit cries out the words of Jesus in Luke 18, 19. There is none good but God alone. The deception that we continue to believe in when we try to clean up this aspect of God and make him good from our perspective is that we start with this. But I'm better than Hitler. That's probably true. But how about if the standard is Mother Teresa? How are we doing now? How about if there's somebody later on who's better than Mother Teresa? And you'd be okay in this cut, but now you're going to miss the cut. Because there is one better than Mother Teresa. His name is Jesus. And uh, in light of him, we all miss the cut. Because he's perfect. So then the only way to truly know ourselves is to see ourselves in the true, in the true reflection of his truth and his justice. It's why Paul can write these words, I am the worst of all sinners. It's why he says I can serve all because I deserve nothing. I can serve all because I didn't deserve it all. It's easy for me to serve God because everything I've got, I didn't deserve, I didn't earn. Matter of fact, everything I earned is death and everything he's given me is life. And the result, my friends, when we're unwilling to look into the truth and justice of God is that we will struggle to walk and thrive in holiness. We're going to talk about holiness a little bit next week. And I know this is a different sermon. I told Jake this is going to be more like uh, we, we, we have Connect Academy where we t- raise up young people and teach them how, uh, you know, theology. And I know this is more of that, but it's because we've, we've lost sight of the, the amazing nature of who he is. Because holiness is only found within the God-given boundaries where we don't put a demand on grace. Don't get me wrong. We always walk in grace. But we should warn ourselves, we should be actually challenging ourselves not to put a demand on grace. Now, let me work this out for you because I think you'll understand it. Uh, There's a difference. Because when, when, if you had a mama, maybe like I did, or some of us did, uh, like, like your mama would always be, she'd have patience for your life. She, your mama was patient for you, probably more so than your dad. Patient, mama was patient with you. Until you started living in a margin, and then your mama said, don't test my patience, boy. You're testing my patience. What is she saying? You're getting real close to the margin where if there's not going to be, where, 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 where grace is going to end, come on somebody, and your backside's going to be red, or you're going to end up dead. The issue is, I think, when we move towards the margins of the boundaries of God's truth, we often find ourselves living in what I call sustenance rather than abundance. Let me work this out for you just a little bit, show you. In, in, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 23, uh, 23, verse 22, the Bible tells us that in the Old Testament, God said to the farmers, when you bring in your harvest, leave the edges alone. Don't, don't reap them. Leave the edges alone. Leave the margins alone. That's for the sustenance of the poor. 
That's so the poor can come and eat so that they won't die. But he's telling them, everything you need for abundance is found in the middle. Everything you need for abundance is found in the middle. Everything you need for abundance is found in the middle. And at times when we're not feeling the abundance of God's harvest in our life, we call into question God's goodness because we're supposed to have an abundant life. Yet it's because so often we have moved to the margin of sustenance. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. He said this, Everything is permissible. That means if you're in Jesus Christ, no matter what you do, what sin you've committed, you're, you're, you're going to heaven. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Grace is enough so that you won't die, but at times it's not that beneficial to have abundance. Let me put it this way. Let me give you an example. Um... I'm just saying, this is an example maybe that uh, we, we can understand. If you get drunk on three beers, now I don't drink, but I know people do, and that's not that's what we're talking about in this. Just help, let me use the example. Here's what happens in Christians' minds. I know if I get drunk on three beers, the Bible tells me not to get drunk. So I'm going to have two beers tonight. That's margin. That's living in the margin. Because what we should have done is ask the Holy Spirit if we should have any beers tonight. One is sustenance. You're not going to die for not asking. The other is abundance because it gives us the opportunity to get in alignment with God's will. And when we get in alignment with God's will, then things begin to flow in abundance. One is sustenance, and we're living over here and going, yeah, okay, great. God didn't kill me because I didn't ask. I'm good because I didn't step over the line. So because I'm good, you should actually do good things to me. You didn't even ask. I was talking last week to Pastor Kevin about this, and Pastor Kevin said something that was brilliant. He said, I think the problem is we think God is like a typewriter. We take it to the very end, and then he, ding, brings us back to center. And I think we think that's right. But somewhere along the way, we confuse God as the achiever of repentance rather than the receiver of repentance. God does not achieve repentance for us. He receives us when we repent. So when we're looking for God to bring us back to the center, we're looking at the wrong thing. Because the issue is that we will never repent from something we don't see as wrong or when we misunderstand the blessing of God in our life as approval rather than grace. I must be, God must be happy with me because look at all the things of good that are happening in my life. You don't get good things in your life because you're good. You get good things in your life because he's good. So he can be disapproving that you're living in the margin. You're testing him. You're, you're on my last nerve. He still blesses you. Because that's who he is, not who you are. I think the trap is, when we get to these margins, we camp out expecting God to return us to the center, which he doesn't do. And so instead, we end up moving the boundary stones further away so that we feel better about not being so close to the edge. But we can't move God's boundary stones because he is truth. See, my friends, and we're about to wrap up in a moment, but truth and grace must be our dwelling place. 
truth and grace must be our dwelling place. That's what verse 7 is saying. He's saying God saves those who trust him. That Hebrew word for trust means to trust enough to dwell, to trust enough to make as a refuge. It is this kind of trust where we dwell in the center of God's will, where we try to hear from him and see him and listen to him and bound ourselves with his truth that establishes us as unmovable in a generation that constantly has moving standards of acceptance. He becomes the place in which we dwell in life, not simply the answer to the problems of our life. The reality is we need to see and know that God is the God of the whirlwind and the storm. Justice fueled by his holiness, holiness which remains swirling around, our si- around us on this side of the veil. It is a firestorm of our own making. And yet grace is the umbrella in the midst of the storm. We need to see him as the firestorm. We need to understand he's in the whirlwind. We need to understand that the craziness that goes on around us in this world is of our own making, human, humanity's making. But that grace is the umbrella that keeps us in the midst of the storm. It doesn't take us out of the storm. It doesn't remove the storm. It doesn't nullify the storm. It keeps me under the umbrella of grace in the midst of the storm. And when I am walking my dog out with my umbrella in the rain, I don't wonder why the road is getting wet. I know why the road is getting wet. Come on, somebody. Because it's not under the umbrella. Because it's the the effect of a storm. I don't question. I, I wonder why that branch broke off of that tree and it didn't break off of that tree. I understand it broke because it's an effect of the storm. But it makes me value the umbrella that I'm under even more. See, when we lose sight of the storm, we devalue the umbrella. If he is not justice, then what do I need grace for? When I see the storm, I fall in love more with the umbrella. I become thankful that my wife reminded me, before you leave the house, grab the umbrella. I'm thankful for a God who made a way for me to have an umbrella in the midst of a storm that doesn't just break limbs, it breaks souls. It doesn't just shatter homes, it shatters lives. It doesn't just make streets wet, it makes my soul drenched with selfishness. I need an umbrella. I need an umbrella, but I only value it when I still see the storm. Come on, my friends. The cross is the collision point where justice and grace are melded into the same coin. It was on Jesus and in Jesus that Isaiah 55 says that God poured out all of our wrath All of it. When we see this, we have to know he's a God of justice or we won't understand how much grace and love it took for him to overcome it. To pay our price. His perfection defeated our imperfection. 
In this we see the image of his true face. In this we see the image of beauty and grace. Because Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 says, Vengeance is mine, and the Lord will judge his people. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But we meet this judge who to us is both a, God, a judge of justice and of grace with absolutely nothing to fear because Jesus already took everything that was against us and nailed it to the cross. And so we come to this judge of justice and grace not with fear but with awe and amazement, gratitude and worship joy and thanksgiving, love and adoration because we see what it cost him to give us the umbrella when he could have simply left us in the storm of our own making because this is what we deserve and yet this is what grace looks like. I was reading a story this week about a judge last month his name was Frank Caprio, who sentenced a woman, he fined her $400 for unpaid parking tickets, but she was a woman who was living in the car. She knows she deserved it, but she didn't have any money to pay it. But he still passed judgment, which seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Woman living in a car, you couldn't just look the other way. Obviously, her life's bad enough. Mm. But Frank had something different in mind. He passed the judgment, and then he stood up from his bench, and he went over to the side, and he took out his checkbook, and he wrote, paid off her fine, reached into his pocket and took out a $50 bill and gave it to her, said, now go buy food. See, this is what grace looks like. Grace exists in the midst of justice. My God said, I'm guilty of sin. I'm guilty to go through hell. I'm guilty to have separated from him forever. I deserve that. Not because I'm better than Hitler. I deserve it because I am not perfect. And the standard of heaven is. But when I see the storm, I understand at the cross, my judge passed judgment on me. And then he stood up. And he sent his son and he wrote out the check that paid for my life. And on top of that, he gave me blessings that I never had before. This is the God that we serve. Who wouldn't love a God like this? Our hearts should be so filled. Our spirits should be so overwhelmed with the fact that a God like this would not only pass the judgment that's due me because he is true, because that's who he is, Thank God he is that. 
Thank God there's not a sliding scale that one day we think we're in and the next day we're not so sure. Thank God we are living under the umbrella of a grace that is paid for by the blood of Jesus. I don't have to minimize the storm to understand the goodness of my God. I'm standing in the goodness of my God in the midst of the storm. Who wouldn't love a God like this who was faithful and true to being just and so he passes judgment and is so in love with you that he is grace and pays the fine himself so that we could go free. What is there to fear? Nothing. What is there to be in all about? Freaking everything. That's why we don't skip to verse 7. Because he is the God of justice. And he is the God of grace. And I'm going to fall in love with both of them. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, I love you. My God, forgive us for taking you for granted. Jesus, forgive us for trying to fit who you are, Father, into our tiny little worlds. Trying to understand you through our such small perspective. What a question to ask. Who wouldn't love a God like this? Why does anything good happen to anyone? Because you're good. Then it's your desire for us to come to you. And so you give us time in the midst of the storm and you bring your word time and time again in the midst of the storm and you don't ground us when we have one foot in and one foot out you send your spirit to say you're on the margin but the abundance is found in the middle what a God we serve my friend, I don't know where you are with that God. I grew up hearing about how God is a God of justice and he just wants to punish us and he's waiting for us to step out of line. And couldn't be further from the truth. He is a God of justice and because he is true, he must pour out justice. But the Bible tells me that he is slow in passing that judgment because he doesn't want any one of us to perish but every one of us to come to eternal life. And so he does pass the judgment on the cross. He says we're guilty. He places us inside of Jesus. And then as the judge, he stands up and writes out the check himself in blood and gives us the spirit 
to go get extra meals and to provide what we need in this life. Maybe, just maybe, you've never taken the moment to accept that God. The Bible simply says today, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what he did for you on the cross and resurrection is enough, that today you'll be saved. Today. So we're going to pray in just a moment. If you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, I'm not asking you if you're a good person. You've tried to be good, do right things. I'm asking you, have you ever done one thing wrong? If you have, then we've missed the mark, and we all know we have. And so we're guilty. We stand in the guilty box where God has to pass judgment. But yet he's a God of grace who wants to write out the check and pay our fine if we'll let him. And that's a gift called life and life eternal. That's salvation. So we're going to pray. You pray from the bottom of your heart. God's going to meet you where you are. But maybe if you've been a Christian, maybe you've known God for a while, but to be honest, you've been one foot in, one foot out. You've been living on the margins in lots of ways. Today's the day to come back. He'll be the receiver of your repentance, but just turn around and come back. Just go all in. Why wait? We're never promised another day. But why waste one more day living on the margin when we can live in the abundance of holiness, the abundance of intimacy, the abundance of knowing his grace and love and mercy fresh and new every morning? Why don't you pray it with me as well? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my life. All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be. I willingly give to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I fully accept your gift of grace. I know I don't deserve it, and I can't earn it. So I receive it today. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live in the center of your will. So I can give you glory with everything I say and everything I do. I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some glory? Hallelujah. Father, thank you for lives that are changed. Thank you today that you're a God of grace. Thank you, God, that today somebody was walking in the rain, but today through your love, they're under the umbrella of grace. It's going to rain a lot this week, by the way. Every time you put up your umbrella this week, may you be reminded both of his justice and of his grace. May you take just a moment and say thank you. Thank you for keeping me out of the rain. And even if my shoes get a little wet, and my socks get a little damp. Come on, somebody. I'm all right because I'm under the umbrella I never deserved in the first place. Thank you, Jesus. Don't hop to verse 7. He's the God of verse 1 through 6. 
and the God of seven. Amen? Amen. Hey, before we go, Pastor Irene's going to come. She's going to encourage you in your giving today. She's going to have you stand in a moment, pray over you. Thank you for letting me just do a little something different today. I hope today that you got a bigger picture of who our God is. Because our life is not about doing better. Our life is about getting to know Him better. I love you, church. Hey, give Pastor Irene a hand as she's coming. Thank you so much, Pastor Kyle. Let's give our pastor a hand. Pastor Kyle and Danielle, such a blessing. What a great word, isn't it? So, church, it's an honor to be here today. It's so wonderful to see all your beautiful faces and to encourage us in our giving this morning. You know, this week, my attention was drawn to Matthew 6. And in there, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And we all know about this, right? The Lord's Prayer. We actually said some of it this morning. We're all very familiar with it. But one particular line really struck me this week, and that is where we pray, and we said it today. We said, Thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Pastor Kyle so eloquently said, you know, we don't just pray and declare that, but God invites us in his graciousness to have a relationship with him. He invites us to be vessels to help his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He graciously pours so much into us, church, so that we can then pour out as his vessels. We can pour out love to our broken world. We can pour out compassion. We can pour out our resources. And church, your giving is such a tangible way that people can come to this house, they can come into a relationship with him, they can grow in their faith. As we mentioned this morning, your giving is a tangible way that people can come to the Thy Kingdom Crumb food truck, free food truck, get a free meal, hear the gospel. So thank you, church, so much for your giving. So will you join me today, church? Will you declare, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy will be done, but will you also join our hearts together and agree that we can be a part of it? as well. So let's pray today, church. Father, we thank you that Jesus taught us to pray that beautiful prayer. And we declare today, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. The world so desperately needs you in this day, in this broken world. We ask that you would bless the work of our hands, that you would bless the gifts that we bring today, that you would receive them, that they would be used so that many, many more can know your love. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, church. Amen. Hey, give Pastor Rick. One more hand as we get ready to go. Can I say something? Yeah. So it was on my heart today, church. Please. If you need prayer, Pastor Rick is here. I am here. Pastor Ron is here. I just had that on my heart all morning that there are people that you just need to touch and you need someone to agree with you in prayer. And we're here today for that. So Please good. see us after school. Yeah, guys, they'll be right back there at the tables uh, for any kind. If, if you want to know more about what decision you made today, if you want to know more about, uh, if you need any, anything, prayer, anointing with oil, we believe that God is still the God. As much as He is a God of grace, He is a God of healing. As much as He is a God of justice, He's a God of deliverance. We, 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 so often we carry things that we're never meant to carry beyond what we were meant to carry them because we didn't actually exchange hands with God. And that's what prayer does. Prayer exchanges hands. It takes my burden, I give it to Him, and I take His word and stand on into my life. So good. Hey, I know Pastor Irene really encouraged us in our giving. There's a thousand ways to give. 
You can always use these uh, envelopes that are there. You can drop them in the gold kiosk as you go. There's a QR code up on the screen you can give to. That will also take you to that uh, link tree link that tells you all about church as well. And I want to thank you, church. Your giving has continued to allow us to do things beyond just a church service, in community, to make a difference. You are making a difference. The fact that nine people's eternities are changed yesterday simply because we gave them some food, that's what happens when you give. Things happen. Lives change. Well, why don't you stand? I want to pray over you real quick. I believe what Pastor Irene said is true. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Is he a God? Is he, is he the God that is I am, I am? Is he Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals? Is he Yahweh Nisi, he's our banner? Is he Yahweh Yira? Is he the provider? He is. Father, we thank you. I praise you for each and every person that's in this room. I thank you for people who are online, people down the shore today, people who are on vacation enjoying life. I thank you, Lord God, for those who are sick even at home who are going to receive blessing and healing today as we stand in the gap for them. I'm believing, Father, that you are who you say that you are. You're not just a God of justice and grace. You're a God of healing. You're a God of love. You're a God of power. All authority, all dominion is yours, Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Jesus is Lord. Sickness must bow. Depression must bow. Anxiety must bow. Injury must bow its knee to Jesus today. I pray right now, Father, that you may help us to love and see both the umbrella and the storm and know you even more in both. Open our eyes and our hearts to fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Help us to understand the all of the Almighty, that we may grow in wisdom and walk in your ways, that we may love you and worship you with our lives through every word, through every deed. Watch over, bless, and walk with each and every person in this room this week. We give you the glory for that opportunity, and the glory and honor for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you, church. We love you. See you next week. Hallelujah.